Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and today we're talking about how to build a parent nation with Dr. Dana Suskin, who's the founder and co-director of the 30 Million Word Center for Early Learning and Public Health. She's also the director of pediatric cochlear implant programs and professor of surgery, pediatrics, and public policy at the University of Chicago. She's a recognized thought leader. She is the author of 30 Million Words, Building a Child's Brain, and her latest book, Parent Nation, Unlocking Every Child's Potential, Fulfilling Society's Promise. So today we are talking about what is the ideal parent nation and how do we build one at an individual level as parents and caregivers. If you have an extra moment, which I know is so precious, it is so helpful to me if you rate the podcast and write a review and always DM me with any feedback or questions at Raising Good Humans podcast on my Instagram. And for other resources, sign up for my bulletin, dreliza.bulletin.com. It's really an ideal of a society that, you know, values the love and labor of parents and caregivers in building not only children's brains, but healthy child development. So all children thrive and all parents thrive. And I, and I think what's important is that the micro moments that you talk about on your podcast are at the crux of parenting, of raising a good human, of giving children all, you know, all the opportunity to reach their potentials. But I think what's so important is that we've, we don't realize how much the larger societal context influences and impacts and provides barriers in allowing parents to have those micro moments. So they're, they feel disconnected, but they are all, they are so connected. All of the things that we talk about in parenting, there's so little that we can control except ourselves. On the other hand, you've framed a whole concept of bringing together all the components of an ideal community support. And I mean, larger community, which you're calling parent nation. Is that right? Parent nation yeah, or parenting? Parent nation. Parent nation. Yeah. Right. So which you're calling parent nation and all the research that we know goes into how we can help children and families thrive is part of this ideal parent nation. So I want to talk about the individual components that make up this parent nation. And then I want to ask you about what we can do that is in our capacity and control to help create a world that has a parent nation. Yeah. Well, I guess there is a parent nation, but let's like make it productive. 
Yeah, exactly. Play, isn't it? So I named this book Parent Nation because I wanted to set out an ideal of what a society might look like that actually puts children and families at the center, that values and supports the labor and love of parents and caregivers in building the next generation. And so what does a what does a society look like? It, you know, I, I really sort of put it, I aligned it with the healthy brain development of children because when you use that framework of healthy brain development, not only do you understand what needs to be done at the individual level, what parents and caregivers can do to optimize their children's development, but it really allows you to understand what a society looks like that really supports parents in that endeavor. And I always say that building a parent nation is like building a brain, right? Building a healthy brain takes all parts of the brain to come together, you know, whether it be socio-emotional, literacy, you know, the temporal, I mean, all parts of the brain come together to, to, to create a healthy brain. In that same way, all parts of society need to come together to, to build this parent nation, to truly put children and families at the center. So, you know, obviously, you know, policy and the role of society, you know, with policies that are family friendly are one part of it. But just as important are the role of corporate America and employers in supporting parents, the role of healthcare. I think the role of healthcare plays an incredibly important role, both in allowing parents to understand, you know, their children's healthy development and to sort of connect them to the larger society. And last is the role of parents, the role of parents and caregivers as a larger collective, both to allow them to see themselves as allies so that they can find community and find support. And importantly, to hold the larger society accountable for supporting them. And so all parts of society really need to come together to build this nation, to build this parent nation. I think that COVID has really shined a light on, number one, none of us parent alone, and just how our society is built in almost diametric opposition to supporting parents and children. And, you know, we, it, it was bad before, but, you know, I don't know one parent who isn't struggling. So I think if, if not now, when, I don't know. So. So what do you think are the biggest barriers that are happening right now for parents that are just feeling insurmountable without outside help? And I don't mean like a nanny. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about what you're talking about with because I think it's it's such a fine balance figuring out how to think about changing the way we engage in this world so that it does support the most important thing about our world is community. Children and families are everything. That I mean, there is no hokiness in the children are the future. So whether you have them or you just want a future, that is it. So I, but there is such a lack of support and parents are struggling so much. We're all either parents or children of people who are parents. Yes. So what is so mind blowing to me is we know this, the science is telling us in every different direction, how do we move it from what we know to changing how our everyday experience moves the needle a bit? 
Yeah, no, no, no. And, you know, look, I wrote this book not to put one more thing on parents' shoulders, right? You know, before we can talk about all the changes that need to happen, which obviously they do, I think there's something even more proximal. I think that this book and all these discussions are really about tearing down the unrealistic expectations our society has placed on parents by convincing them that they should be able to shoulder this enormous responsibility of early child care, development, and education on their own without any formal support. And I think, you know, in some ways, the first step is this acknowledgement that none of us parent alone and that society can and should play a role in supporting us. It doesn't mean that society parents. No, we are the only ones who parent. But I think that in some ways, the parents, especially moms, frankly, we've internalized this sort of idea of American individualism, that you, know, you have to be tough and rugged and go it alone. And I can't tell you in my hundreds of hours of talking to parents from all different backgrounds, what I heard over and over again was not only parents struggling, but this, this feeling of like, I feel like I'm failing in all parts of my life, rather than saying, gosh, why is society failing me? And, you know, it's starting yeah. to begin. I'm starting to hear it a little bit more. But unless you realize, wow, why is society not helping me at all? Can you not go to the next step of expecting society to start playing a bigger role. And let me tell you, it is so different, as you know, in other countries. So I think the first step before we, you know, is just elevating our expectations of society's role in, in, in this realm. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a good point because there is this part of every mother and it's so, I'm glad you said specifically mothers, because there has been a bit of a, in the, in the interest and service, uh, important service of being inclusive of all kinds of families, mothers. And, and when I say mother, and I think when you say mother, it's the proxy for the primary caregiver, but, but whoever that primary caregiver is, and that is typically the mother, the burden is so heavy. And to acknowledge that is to suggest that you are not you are not enough. And yeah. so there is this weird idea that the more you suffer, the martyr the martyrdom of motherhood, the better the parent you are. So you can't even have the conversation where you acknowledge this is not how the rest of the world operates. This is a very broken system. I'm not supposed to be doing this by myself in this, you know, perfect way. But how do we change our mindset so that we can support mothers? And again, I want to say proxies, that mother is a proxy for all yeah. primary caregivers. And it's not that other caregivers aren't important. That's part of the book is that we need more. We and need this, every, We need everyone. Yeah. Um, but the burden that that is so much clearer because we had this two years of this pandemic so far the burden has been on that primary caregiver to try to make ends meet and be a parent in every, you know, 24 seven and have very little support. So, so maybe what you're saying is raise our expectations with the confidence that those are the appropriate expectations. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I worked very hard to have, I mean, fathers obviously play an incredibly important role in their stories. Absolutely. An important part, and 
uh, of this book, but I could have called it Mother Nation just as easily. And I think we're so we're so clearly seeing the burdens that are being placed on often mothers because they are the often the primary caregivers. I mean, in all realms of invisible, you know, the invisible caregiving, the invisible labor that is not just in the childcare realm, but it often is in the early years. And it really has, you know, it's resulted in this great resignation. I mean, I think it's, you know, care, you know, women have been, I think, um, I can't remember who said this, women have been the social safety nets of our country, right? And we, you know, yeah. Are at a breaking point. Uh, you know, I think there was a recent CDC uh, report out about the mental health issues, and teens and mothers, you know, are bearing the brunt. But you, we, and that is why, really, this, you know, changing the language around, you know, what it is to be a mother, right? And you know, this it's, you know, elevating expectations also means that we have to start talking differently. I mean, so often we, you know, I used to joke that being a mother was about guilt and, you know, I was, I was mediocre in all parts of my life. The truth is, is that we need to start speaking more openly about that. None of us do it alone. I mean, I, you know, I'm a physician, I'm a mother. I have, you know, I do this I'm able to do this because I have help. And I think that all mothers, all parents need help in different ways. And um, so I think this is a critical part. We need to start changing the conversation. Uh, we can't be, we can't be invisible parenting anymore. And now a little break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Getting a good night's sleep is the most important thing you can do for your health and your child's health. and. Sometimes it's the little stuff that makes it easier to get a good night's sleep. So that's where Cozy Earth comes in. They develop and craft high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the sleep that you need and curate your sanctuary, recharge from the comfort of your home. And it's all made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is temperature regulating so that it keeps you cool and comfortable all night long. And Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list four years in a row, which just feels like a good vote of confidence. And they have a 10-year warranty on all their products, the 100-night sleep test. So that means you can try it for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, you can just send it back for a full refund. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. So you get 35% off site-wide when you use the code HUMANS at checkout. 35% off site-wide when you use the code HUMANS at checkout. Those of you who follow me on Instagram know that I have to wear glasses pretty much all the time. So when you're wearing glasses, not just for reading, but for every minute of your day, it's kind of fun to just change things up, kind of like you're changing your clothes. So who makes that easy? Pair Eyewear makes that so easy because you choose a shape that's perfect for your face. And then you can get all these different looks within the frame that you have. You just replace the top of that. There's this base frame with a magnetic top. So you can make these combinations, switch up your style all the time. And if you like me, like a rectangle frame and a cat eye frame, you can get both bases 
and then six different looks from basic black to blue tortoise shell. And the base frames start at just $60. And for those of you who live in prescription lenses, then you know that that is a phenomenal price for this, which includes the lens and the base frame. So you can choose from hundreds of top frame designs to match whatever base frame you choose. Pick your top frames and build a collection to match your personality, your mood each day, your outfit. The best part is that for every pair purchase, Pear provides glasses and vision care for children around the world. This means that every purchase you make is also giving back. And I love companies that make that happen. So get glasses as unique as you are, one pair infinite style, starting at just $60. Go to paireyewear.com slash humans for 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at P-A-I-R-I-Wear.com slash humans. Can you dive into what you wish parents could do today that would shift not only the way that they're setting up their expectations for the nation, but how they can shift their expectations for themselves to still highlight the important moments with their kids and highlight what is just part of guilt parenting and not actually helping kids thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that in some ways I look at this book as a love letter to parents um, to give themselves grace. Uh, The the truth of the matter is uh, you and I, you know, our research is about those micro moments and how those help their children thrive. The truth of the matter is there is something called good enough parenting and giving yourself grace and showing up and being there. But sometimes, you know, real life intrudes and your kids are going to be okay. I think that in some ways, understanding where society and employers or, you know, um, community is, aren't sort of showing up allows us to give us that grace because it's not no longer on our shoulders. So I think giving yourself grace, um, understanding that there are many ways to parent uh, a child. And, you know, I always say there are many ways to parent a child. This book is not about one way to parent a child, you know, whether you decide to, you know, stay home and work, because as you say, you're always working or make the choice or have to, you know, work outside the home. There are many ways to raise successful and healthy children. And just knowing that is critically important. And starting to, you know, one other thing that I think is important, just, you know, on the small scale, is starting to look at other parents as allies, as a larger collective. Um, What I found so interesting in talking to parents from all different backgrounds is that at the end of the day, almost all parents, I mean, basically all parents, I mean, want the same for their children. They want to raise happy, healthy children, you know, who are launched into adulthood. And the more that we can start seeing our commonalities, you know, especially in those early years, I think the more likely we're going to build a larger collective where we start seeing us ourselves as a collective whole and start sort of pushing society both, you know, whether it be employers or are, you know, legislators to start supporting us more holistically. So I think those would be the, the, the first small lifts in building a parent nation. Can you give examples of easy ways to sort of 
again, as you said, not to add to the to-do list, but also for those of us who have extra space to lift, we lift yeah. when we can. And those of us who need support know that there, there are other parents that are allies. Mm-hmm. And so how can a parent who says, you know what, I've got, a, I've got 2% left in me. I yeah. can help. And yeah. also we know from research that being a helper helps you. So if we know this, what are some of the small ways to make a difference? Like what's the language you would offer to say to your local legislator or anything that anything that sort of moves the needle just the tiniest bit? Absolutely. Actually, you know, because, you know, I'm like you, we're 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 doers. I'm I I knew that I wanted to get the book out there, but I really wanted to manifest the changes even more sort of explicitly. So believe it or not, my team and I have created a website called parentnation.org. And on there, what it we you'll see so many resources, a free, you know, resources that can be downloadable. And one of the most exciting things that we've put together, one of my colleagues, Yoli Flores, has put together are these parent villages, um, which is curriculums that you can actually download. It's a four part curriculum where you bring together a group, right? You know, whether it be friends or or relatives, and you come together and really, we, we call it the three Fs, to find community, forge collective identity, and fight for change. And it really takes you through this process of, number one, realizing just how much is on your shoulder, to seeing how you want to move the needle in your own community, whether it be small a small small thing, it's not a small thing, but like ask for a lactation room in, you know, in your community center or, you know, decide as a group you want to fight for paid parental and family leave in this country, which I still can't believe we are the only OECD country. Like seriously, like I think if anything, that's the best indicator that we don't care about our families that much. Anyways, so, so this, so there are so many different ways that people can, you know, move to action that aren't heavy lifts, right? We're not asking, you know, you can go and march with larger groups. We, we've put in all these different groups across the country that are fighting for family-friendly policies or changes in their own community. But it's really up to each individual what, it, what change they, they want to see in the world. So when I'm thinking about those small moments when you don't want to make noise or you feel like as a parent, you can, you can handle it. Like I remember in graduate school, I mean, ironically, I was doing my fellowship at the National Center for Children and Families, but I had no place to breastfeed and I had no place to pump except the bathroom, which was so gross. (laughs) That is and it was so gross. And I was thinking, and we were working on policy and child development constantly. And I was thinking, I don't want to say anything. I was the only mom in the lab. And I I thought if I say something, it's just going to bother people and ruffle feathers and I'll just figure it out. But what I'm realizing 
from your book. And what you're saying is I was actually doing a disservice to every other mother that was going to come through there and the other folks that were writing about policy and change, because the small moment when I had the opportunity to say, Hey, you know, what would be helpful, which I know everyone would have responded to. That's the thing. They just weren't thinking of it. I was in a setting where there is no way that they wouldn't have said yes. I just didn't want to make any noise. No, I mean, and let me tell you, I, those stories abound, although every time you hear them, it just, you know, the, the irony is so much. But I'll, I'll tell you a story, even my, I mean, you know, in the center that I run, obviously, we have many incredible women, and I hope that they know that obviously I am 1000% supportive, but I actually tell the story in my book uh, about one of my colleagues, uh, Danny, who is relatively new and young. And after a, a meeting, she said, you know, I want to talk to you about something medical, uh, Dana. And I was like, oh no, you know, there's something, yeah, there's a health issue. And she goes, I'm pregnant. I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But I think the point is, is that we all sort of carry this, even if, you know, just imagine here she's working with me who, you know, although that doesn't guarantee it, but I, I am wholly supportive of, uh, of this, that if you feel uncomfortable there, gosh knows when you're in a room of men. And that's why men and people in leadership positions, it's as much about, you know, pushing forward to policy changes as norm changes, right? Norm totally. You know, men, you know, I hear this over and over again. You know, we all know, you know, the importance and many uh, gender neutral paid leave, right? And many, especially, you know, in the area of fi finance and tech, you know, men are getting pretty decent paid leave, but I hear time and time again that they're not taking it, right? Right, there so it does a disservice to everybody else. Exactly. And the sooner we start saying, you know what, I have to wear it on my sleeve, how, or, you know, be explicit how important this is that I am, you know, as a mother going home, you know, as the leader of this central, I am going home to be at my, you know, son's concert or my daughter's, you know, uh, sports, sports game. It's as much a signaling to, you know, my children as it is to my colleagues that this is really important. And I want you to feel good and comfortable. So yeah, those norm changes. And I think I just, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit of change in the air. I don't know if it's just the people that I'm hanging out with, it may be, but um, probably, but uh, I feel like people are talking about it. And with, look, with this great resignation and, you know, so many women leaving the workforce or switching to better jobs. I mean, I think employers are seeing that this is, you know, what's good for par working parents is good for their bottom line because losing talent is not an easy, easy or cheap fix. So um, maybe, maybe corporate America will lead us. That's another thing for everybody to think about is like a small thing you can do tomorrow that supports anybody who is trying to like thinking about it in the way that you were talking about family medical leave for um, men, for dads, that when they don't take it, it's not just saying, look, I know I, I really appreciate it, but I'm not going to take it because I don't have time. I don't really need it. My partner's got this things covered or whatever, but it's actually now saying to every woman who's having a baby, 
when when you take that leave, the person who has the option to take it isn't, and they're going to jump ahead of you. So it's quite aggressive not to take the leave. But I don't know that everybody views it that way. I think there are plenty of people who think, well, I just don't need it, so I'm not going to take it. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's there's research that shows if you're in a you know uh, a married in a marriage partnership that when men take leave, you know, it's better for the relationship, uh, the, sure. the, the partner relationship. So if they, if, if that, maybe that's another reason that they can, and you know, there there's, you know, the science, there's so much science showing how paid leave is so good, even for the babies and their brain development. So just some really startling st- statistics. I mean, in the average for toddlers uh, across most developed nations, they invest about fourteen thousand dollars a year for childcare. Fourteen thousand, like Norway is like twenty nine thousand, but fourteen thousand. We are we come in at five hundred dollars per toddler per year. I mean, we 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 invest so little in any safety net, any any early child care and education, um, and you know we're gonna pay for it now and in the future unless things change. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. KiwiCo is such a great option for this time of year. Here's why. Summertime has so much free play, which I love, so much exploring outside and fun and no pressure. At the same time, Having that much free time and that much freedom to explore and be creative can sometimes be a little bit exhausting for parents because at some point your kids are going to want something that you tell them to do or a break or screens. And so a great solution is KiwiCo because they put all the ingredients for making some magic with a little bit more structure into their crates. And they deliver these crates monthly. These are science and art projects for kids of all ages. And they include every single thing you need to complete each project. So you can bring it wherever summer takes you. Car trips, no problem. Bring a Kiwi crate. Each crate is so fun. And you can explore science, technology, engineering, math, art, anything. All hands-on. We created giant bubbles. Come on. That's so fun. Everybody loves bubbles, whether you're two or 22 years old. As a parent, it can be hard to find ways to keep kids busy and challenged while you're just trying to have a cup of coffee. So instead of handing them a screen, hand them a Kiwi crate. Pack summer full of memorable discoveries with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping at any crate line with the code humans at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code HUMANS. As parents, we all know that a kid who's hungry is a kid who's not set up for having a great time. So you always want to keep an easy snack that's healthy, easy to grab on the go, and really portable with you. And that's where that's it comes in because eating nutritious, and healthy food on the go is challenging. And That's It Fruit Bars gets it. They have one ingredient, 100% real fruit. So you don't have to worry about all the bizarre, complex 
confusing ingredients lists that go in the snack aisle and no artificial additives that you can't even pronounce. They're convenient. They can go anywhere from lunch bags to purses to suitcases to the car console. They're for any time to ensure that your young ones are getting a daily dose of fruit and not getting hungry at random times just before you were trying to go do something fun. So that's it is giving Raising Good Humans listeners a special discount. If you're looking to try these fruit bars for you and your family, head over to that'sitfruit.com slash raisinggoodhumans and use the code humans to get 20% off your order. That's it fruit.com slash raising good humans code humans to get 20% off your order. What are some other staggering data points for our listeners here to get yeah. inspired? I mean, it's depressing, but it's inspiring. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so, you know, not only do we not invest, right? And which causes huge stress and strain. I mean, childcare in this country can cost as much as a mortgage or or a college, you know, tuition, and which is not only crazy, but exactly the wrong time. I mean, people should be investing in their retirement fund then, you know, in the early years so they can have it later instead of spending it down for, you know, Childcare, but nonetheless, there's another important statistic that we don't talk a lot about, but we sort of know the fact that it's it's the happiness gap. And there's some really powerful research by Jennifer Glass and colleagues where she looked at there. We know in most developed nations, parents are less happy than non-parents. It just is. It's hard to raise children. Let's face it. Yeah, but. What she's found is that there's a relationship between the family-friendly policies of a country and that gap. So the more family-friendly policies, paid leave, child credit, et cetera, the smaller the gap. Well, can you guess which country has the largest gap in happiness? The U.S. We by far have the least happy parents relative to non-parents. So we are paying not only economically in terms of stress, in terms of, you know, our children and their potential, um, but we are, you know, we, society is sucking the joy out of, <laughs> out of life. And it's, uh, it really doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So, I mean, I can give you so many statistics. I mean, it, the, the, the bottom line is that this all pays for itself. I mean, we know, we know the Jim Heckman research showing that for every dollar we invest, you get $13 back because, because the investment in the early years is so critical for, you know, children's development. But even, even these policies that that people have probably your listeners have dealt with, right? We there was the child credit that you know the the year that families got three thousand dollars, about three thousand dollars per year per child. Not every family got it, but a, a huge number of of families got it. And not only did it you know take off the strain for many working families, but it it lifted millions of children out of poverty, like three like. 3.4 million children out of poverty, I think. And we know that poverty is bad for children's development. And people can say, well, that's a super expensive policy. But the truth of the matter is the research, actually, I think it came out of Columbia, showed a 10, 
yeah, a 10 time return on investment, right? For, for a policy, you know, uh, you get the return 10 times for every dollar, for every dollar you, you give as a child credit, you get $10 back from society, both in terms of education, you know, decrease incarceration, improvement in overall health and, you know, productivity of our, of our children. It like pays for it. And for whatever reason, we just, you know, it's, we're short-sighted because it feels so far off. It just Uh, feels so far off, but it's so like, it's true. Sometimes I think do only maybe policymakers know the research, but it's too, it's too much of a long game for them to see the return to get the votes. And so it gets ignored. And then I wonder if we make sure that every family knows how important it is and what major returns there are that will start to insist on these investments because it's asinine when everybody's up in arms about crime and homelessness and a mental health crisis, but not connecting the dots. It's mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right, Eliza. I think that we will never, you know, politicians go on a four year, you know, whatever year cycle. I mean, they they want that that quick ROI. They want to be able to say, hey, look what I did. And and I get it. So I'll I'll be honest, after writing this book, I have become even more and more convinced that the only way we're going to really push this country is if we demand it. And we're not going to be able to demand it piecemeal. We're going to have to demand it as a collective voice. And I'll tell you one story that I think is so powerful, and I talk about it in the book, but I've been thinking even more about it, is the AARP, right? Most of your listeners are don't feel close to being uh, the a getting an AARP card at the age of fifty, but I don't a- know that everybody knows what an AARP card is oh. because I have to say that I was talking about it with some friends recently, and granted, we're deeper into middle age than younger parents, but still, many people didn't know about it. So Whoa. it is a useful thing to yeah. to mention. And so by the, the way, a- it's shockingly earlier than I would have thought. I, I already got the card, so <laughs> a few years ago. Um, so, so yeah, the A. So the AARP is the American. It, it used to be called the American Association of Retired Persons. So basically, it's it's the a lobbying group for retired persons. And it's, you know, there was a joke that when you turn 50, you get the card, and everybody is like, "Ooh, I don't want to get the card." But let me tell you, the AARP totally transformed what it is to be older in this country. So back in the 1950s, 1940s, 1960s, the poorest, most underserved population, the most stressed out population were the elderly. They were crippled by having no retirement, by healthcare costs. They were, they, they were 50% of them live below the minimum standards of decency, according to government report. They were so poor. And I I can't emphasize that enough. The AARP totally transformed that age demographic, right? They, through Medicare and Social Security, no age population is better served. They dropped the poverty rate by 70%. They're now politically active. They deservedly... Society 
has supported those who have contributed to our country and they now serve our country, right? Well, let me tell you, they did this not by just a few people, you know, marching. It wasn't even a march, right? They 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 brought together their 38 million person lobbying group and they they're $1.5 billion juggernaut that lobbies and and make sure that the elderly are protected and cared for. We have nothing like that for parents. Parents do so much labor for this country. I mean, I don't think the parents on uh, listening have ever thought about the fact that they are the guardians of our country's future. They are the ones who are building the, the futures, doctors, lawyers, teachers, you know, musicians, whatever, who are going to care for us, who are going to, you know, uh, feed into that social security taking care of us. And they deserve the same thing. They deserve the same support and they need to know this. But no one, you know, we're all so busy. Parents are so busy. There's no way on their own that we're going to be able to like, you know, get politicians to do what we need to do. But if they, if we had an AARP-like organization for parents, right, who did the bidding of parents and lifted up what all parents need, right? This is this can't be about like culture war stuff or issue. This is really focused on the early years when support could have an outsized influence on both parents and children. It could dramatically change what it is to be a parent in this country, right? You know, you would start off by ensuring that we had paid family and medical leave, right? That you had high quality childcare that was affordable and, and childcare providers were fairly compensated. You wouldn't worry about, you know, having a roof over your child's head. It would, could be a game changer, but, uh, but that would be a dream. So there's the ideal. So what are five, can you think of five concrete things that a parent listening can do for their own family, for their own children's thriving now, and then separately five things that they can do to support a parent nation. Sure. Absolutely. I'm not sure. Let me, let me start off with what parents can do now with their children, especially in the early years. It really goes back to my first book and the foundation of the research that you and I both share. Uh, the key to building a child's brain is nurturing interaction, right? You don't need a PhD. You don't need fancy gadgets. We, and we, at, at the center, we've sort of boiled down the science to three things. We call it the three T's. You need to tune into your baby, talk more, and take turns. Tuning into your baby is, tuning, is, is really tuning into what they're interested in, following your child's lead, see, you know, talking about it, using rich language, talking about the past, the future, the present, and then taking turns. I think this is the most sort of powerful of the three T's, viewing your baby as a conversational partner from day one um, and engaging them in conversation, uh, whether you're reading a book, doing the laundry, or, you know, taking the bus. So I would say those three T's are the key for building your child's brain. And you, and the great thing is, is that you can build your baby's socio-emotional and executive function development, their literacy, their language. You can use those three T's in all different ways to build your child's brain. So that's, that's that. For building a parent nation, as I said, 
you know, I want this book to inspire parents to feel like a love letter, to give themselves grace. So one, give yourself grace. Know that you are, you are exactly what your baby needs. Know that none of us parent alone. Elevate your expectations. Start expecting society, your partner, your employer to better support you. And when they don't, get them to. Um, <laughs> and vote. Vote. This is not partisan, but vote for those who truly have the back of you and all parents and caregivers in this country, because that's the only way that we're going to build a parent nation. 